Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Take your Bibles and open, if you would, to the Gospel of John this morning and chapter number 15. The Gospel of John and chapter number 15. And I want you to, I want you to finish this statement with me, if you would. Uh, guys, is, is, the, is that working up there? Well, stay with me. Just keep it, keep it moving. Okay, there you go. Uh, I want you to finish this statement with me uh, this morning. You ready? Everybody ready? What a friend we have. In Jesus. Wow. I knew you were going to say that. What a friend we have in Jesus. Isn't that true? Those of us who know the Lord, we come to understand that. And you know, that's one of our, that is one of our, we say this, we like to say this, that's one of our beloved hymns, Right? What a friend we have in Jesus. You know, that was written back in 1855. Not 1955, 1855. Did I write it? I think Dr. Riddell did. I think Brother Riddell did. 1855. Think about that. That's 168 years ago. Wow. And you know that, listen, if you know that hymn, That hymn is as relevant today. The truth of that hymn is as relevant today as it was back in 1855. You know, most of the hymns, some of the, all the songs, hymns are songs that we sing. They have a story, right? It's not just whimsical, you know? Uh, They have stories and they, they often speak about our doctrine, our beliefs, and our beliefs are put into, into song, into hymn, and we sing them. And, uh, and that's a great hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It was written by a fellow named Joseph Scriven, and, and he was a man who was acquainted with grief. You know, as I said a moment ago, these, if you look at the hymn, the, the story behind the hymns, it'll tell you a whole lot about, you know, the reason or purpose for that, that hymn or that writing. And uh, he was a man acquainted with grief. And here's what I, I read. The, the, the story behind the hymn tells us this, that the day before, Joseph Scriven, the day before he was to get married, his, his, his fiancée, his bride-to-be, drowned in an accident. That's pretty tragic, isn't it? Huh. I mean, the day before. And, and often you read about some of these, you know, behind-the-scenes stories to the hymns or, or the songs we sing, and they're, and they're powerful. And you can see then where, you know, the message of that hymn or that song comes from. And so not only that event, but other negative events or circumstances in his life caused him to compose a, really it was a poem, a poem, and he, he titled it, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, and then they turned that poem into, into a hymn. Listen to the first stanza. It says this, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. What a privilege. He went on and said, oh, what peace we often forfeit, oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Huh? 
Now, just singing that, it's wonderful. It's a great truth. But when you know the story behind it, here's a man whose uh, fiance drowns in an accident the very day before he's prepared to get married. I mean, that really speaks volumes, doesn't it? You know, and we come to have that great hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. You know, true friendship is a, a rare commodity. Amen. Huh? Sing, let, let that sink in for a second. True friendship is a, a valuable yet rare commodity. I know this. As we pass through life, and some of us have, have been on a little bit, we got some years behind us or under our belt, so to speak, as you go through life, you, you make many acquaintances. Isn't that true? Huh? But few become genuine relationships or genuine friendships, right? And, uh, and there's something special about a genuine friendship. The Bible has a whole lot to speak about. When you read through the Bible, it talks a lot about friendship. Uh, Proverbs chapter t- uh, 18, verse 24, look at the screen, says this, describing a genuine friend said, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. In other words, in order to have a friend, you need to be a friend. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Huh? That's great truth, isn't it? Someone said this about true friendship. A friend walks in when the world walks out. A friend walks in when the world walks out. And as you turn to the Gospel of John, what you find here is this. John captures for us the friendship that we have with Jesus. I want to read down for just a couple of verses. Join me in verse number 12. John 15, verse 12. Look what the Bible says. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Verse 15, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Look at verse 17. These things I command you that ye love one another. I want you to pay attention to this this morning. I want to just jot, jot, get you to jot down a few things, maybe even mental notes. I'll flash it up on the screen here for you to see. But I want you to notice a few things about friendship. According to this text, according to this text, uh, friendships are built upon a foundation. Friendships are built upon a foundation. Now, I like that text of Scripture because it speaks volumes. Look at it. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. We can't say the same about acquaintances. Isn't that true? You know, acquaintances are kind of maybe somewhat surface. You know, uh, you might be friendly to an acquaintance, but, but it's not a real friendship. There's a difference, isn't there? How many of us have acquaintances? You know, we know a lot of people, maybe people we work with or uh, our neighbors or people we come in contact with, even here at church. You know, I'm sure that there, you, there's some people been here for a long time and you may not know the person that's, you know, across the aisle or even sitting in front of you. You know, they just become acquaintances. It doesn't mean we become friends. Friendships are built upon 
a foundation. And the Bible speaks here about our friendship with Jesus, and it says this, our friendship with Jesus is built upon this foundation. And what foundation? This statement. He, he says this, uh, he, he speaks about laying down his life for his friends. You know what that does? That takes us back, doesn't it? That statement takes us back. In fact, it, t- it takes us back uh, to the very, very purpose for Jesus Christ coming into this world. The Bible tells us in Luke's gospel, the, sixth, uh, the 19th chapter, that Jesus came on a mission. He came to earth to seek and to save the lost. He came on purpose, you know. And, and the purpose was, of course, to, to take our place on the cross at Calvary. And so as we read that statement here and we look at the foundation of his friendship with us, we come to realize that it takes us back to the cross at Calvary where Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, suffered the shame and the reproach of sin. Where the Bible says he took upon him the sin of us all. And on the cross at Calvary, he made a payment for sin. And the Bible says the payment that he made for sin was his own blood. Jesus gave his life so that we might have life, right? And I like what it says in verse, look at verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. Huh? And so he sought us, you know, he came to seek us and he sought us out. And the Bible tells us that on the cross at Calvary, he took our place. Did you ever read through Isaiah? Isaiah chapter number one and verse 18 says something like this. Come, let us, let us reason together. He said, though your sins be like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. In other words, what he's saying there is this. We can make an exchange. You know, you bring, you bring to me your life of sin, and I'll give you my life of righteousness. And so when Jesus Christ says, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, it takes us back. It takes us back to, to the cross at Calvary. And then it takes us to the garden tomb where the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ was buried And then to the empty tomb where Jesus Christ was risen from the dead on that third day. Praise the Lord. Paul captures it in these words. In Romans chapter number 5, here's what Paul says in verse 7. Listen to this. He said, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But look at verse number 8. Look at the screen. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ went to the cross for us. You know, there's a faulty notion that in order to, you know, come to God, in order to get God, in order to establish a relationship with the Lord, with God, you need to, you just need to, I guess, you know, do certain things. Right? Some people say this, I, you know, we ask them a question, do you, do you have a relationship with God? Well, I'm working on it. You know, I'm, I'm working on it. And I'm, I'm trying to get, you know, trying to get some things out of my life. And, and once I get to, you know, get this out of my life, or once I get to this uh, point in time in my life, I'll be able to establish that relationship. That's faulty. That's a faulty notion. That's faulty thinking. Because the Bible teaches this, come as you are. You know, come, let us reason together. And I'm so glad. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ took you just the way you are? Uh, how long have you been saved? You remember, you remember when you first got saved? I got saved November 1979. 
That's a few years ago. How many of you were not even born back in November 1979? Oh, man, look at there. I've been, I've been saved for a few years now. And I remember this. I remember when I got saved, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I came just like I was. And I mean to tell you, I had all the baggage with me. Huh? You look up here today, and, and uh, I know I don't look like much, but I'm cleaned up. You know, I'm cleaned up, and, and I got a shirt and tie on, and I got a suit. My, 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 my suit coat is over there. It's just a little warm up here, you know, and, and I, got a, I got a decent haircut. It doesn't grow like it used to grow. In fact, it grows quicker on my face than it does on my head, you know. Uh, nonetheless, I'm cleaned up. But you know, when I came to Jesus, I didn't look like this. I didn't look like this. When I came to Jesus, uh, you want a snapshot of what I look like? It was 1979. You know how old I was? I was 19 years old, almost 20 years old. And back in the 70s, 1975, 78, 79, you know, you wore long hair. You know? No, no, in fact, I didn't have long hair then. I had the, I had the Saturday night Tony Monero look. <laughs> Remember that look? Everything combed back, you know? The long hair went out of style. It's amazing how things go. Now, now long hair is back in style. Right? You see a lot of the young men now wearing longer hair. Barry, you know. <laughs> but back, back then, and, and you know what else was in style? It was really in style for men to wear. At least I was from South Philly, right over the bridge. And so a lot of us during that period of time, we wore a lot of gold. <laughs> you know? We had these gold rope chains. You know? And I had a gold rope chain. And, and, and on that rope chain, I had this circular uh, medallion because uh, I, I was born in October, so back then I didn't really know what it was, but I was a Libra, you know, and so in that medallion was the Libra symbol. So I had a rope chain with the Libra symbol, and then being Italian, I had, I had two other items on that rope chain. I had, I had the horn, and I had the maloiks, right? If you're not Italian, where's Steve Bongiorno? Yeah, he knows what I'm talking about back there. That means this, if some way, if somehow you gave me the evil eye, the Maloics would prevent me from being hindered by your evil eye. Huh? Now, I don't wear that around my neck, but I do have it in my pocket just in case. Pull down, I set it up here while I'm preaching sometimes. Huh? Yeah. And, and then, now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not advocating this, nor am I proud of this, but growing up, in the city, at that point in time, you got tattoos. Now, I know today tattoos are like big time, you know. Back when I was a kid, they weren't big time. It just showed that you were cool. You were cool, you know. And so on, on my arms, uh, I have some tattoos. Not a lot, but I have, I have uh, my name over here and some doodads around it. Over here, I have my favorite cartoon character. I won't tell you who it is. It's not Bugs Bunny. It's not Daffy Duck. You know, I'll be honest with you. I, I really wish I never got those, you know, uh, but I did. Um, and then because I had extreme faith at that time, even being lost, I put Donna's name right here, right over my heart, you know. And we weren't even married at the time. We were just dating. We met when we were 17 years old, 
we've been around, we, we know each other for a long time. And I put her name over here. And so, you know, back then, look here, that's, that's just the way it was. That's who I was, you know. Uh, I used to wear, uh, whenever I dressed, you know, I tried to dress stylish. The hair was styled. I had on, on my fingers, I had, I had diamond, a diamond ring on one finger and a big old crushed gold ring on this finger. Well, my initial one, just in case I forgot who I was. <laughs> I had my name here, my initial here. I knew who I was. I used to wear, uh, I had a rope chain bracelet on this wrist and a, and a gold watch on that wrist. I was, I was sharp, man. I was a dude. Huh? From South Philly. I mean, that's just the way it was. And then all of a sudden, I meet Jesus. And guess what? When I met Jesus, I was dressed. I'll never forget the first day I went to church. I thought for sure, man, I am, I am just going to knock this place out. I go to church. I got a V-neck shirt on, man. It's summertime. You know, my tattoos are showing. Got the gold chains. And, and I think when I walked in, they must have looked at me and said, who in the world is that? <laughs> Who's that guy? You know? But it wasn't long, it wasn't long after I got saved before the Lord began to just work in my life and just change things and began to change my appearance and began to change everything from the inside out. But when I came to Jesus, I came just like that. And I'm, I'm here today to tell you that's exactly how he wants you to come, just like you are. Just like you are. Huh? Now here's the total message. You come, you come just like you are, but he doesn't leave you like you are. He'll take you, accept you like you are. With this in mind, I'm going to eventually make you like I am. And that's a journey. That doesn't happen overnight. I've been at this thing since 1979, and I still got a long way to go. I'm not what I used to be, but I'm far from being what he really wants me to be. But I'm on my way. I'm on my way. And I'm just glad, I'm just glad that I got in when I got in. A couple weeks ago, uh, and the couple sitting right here, Mike and, and Maritza Calabrese, Mike's mom, uh, went to be with the Lord. She was 92 years old. And I asked Mike this, I said, Mike, Mike asked me if I would officiate over the funeral, and I said I'd be happy to do that. When did your mom accept Christ as her personal Savior? And he said, six months ago. Just six months ago. So she got saved. Was she 92 or 91 when she got saved, Mike? She was 92. She got, she got saved when she was 92 years old. Think about that. And I got to, I got to uh, officiate over the celebration of life service. And Mike warned me. Are you with me? Mike warned me that his family is from South Philly, Italian, and Catholic. And I thought this would be a good funeral for Tyler to do. But nonetheless, nonetheless, the Lord blessed me and allowed me to officiate over it. And I'll tell you what, I sat there, I was sitting right over there right before I got up, and I'm thinking, man, I've done a lot of, of these kind of events where Italian, Catholic, South Philly, they don't want to hear the gospel. They don't, I mean, they're expecting me to get up and bless myself and, and hit them with the holy water. I mean, they've got rosary beads in my pocket. That's what they're expecting. And then Mike gets up. And Mike shares how his mom got saved and how she turned her life over to Jesus. And, and man, I, I, all of a sudden, a calm came over me, Barry, and a confidence came over me, and I, I, I got a chance to get up, and I began to talk to these people as if they were my family members, as if I knew them my whole life. And I shared with them, I said, all right, here's something I'm sure you don't understand, because here's a woman who we're here to, you know, celebrate her life. What a good woman! 
And I know you know that she knew Jesus or knew about Jesus all of her life, but how can we get up and say, just at the age of 92, she got saved? How does that make sense? And I shared, you know, how that makes sense with them that day. And I'll tell you what, man, they were, they were just listening to me as if I was sharing a secret on how to hit the lottery next week. And at the end of the service, I mean, one by one, and there was this whole side of the auditorium was almost full. One by one, they came over and they thanked me for being so clear in presenting the gospel to them. And I was so nervous at the beginning, honestly, thinking, they're not going to want to hear this. But boy, they were on the edge of their seat as I shared about how Mike's mom, at the age of 92, came to know Christ as her personal Savior. After all those years of knowing about him, one day she finally put her faith and trust and total dependence in him and got to know him personally. Amen. And friend, if you're here today, listen, the Bible teaches that friendships are built upon foundations. And the foundation for friendship with Jesus is to accept him as your personal Savior. Look at, look at it again. Uh, go back to that John 15, uh, 13 verse, if you would. Jesus speaking, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He's speaking about himself. And that statement takes us back to the cross at Calvary and to the empty tomb where Jesus Christ, I love the song, we only sing it at Easter, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose the victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. And the Bible teaches since now he's alive, we too can be alive. But it begins by having your faith and your trust and your total dependence placed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that you can say, you can say this, I know for sure that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Huh? I brought that up in the funeral message because as Catholics, you know, and I was one, you really, you really should, you, you should never say that you know for sure you're going to heaven. Is any, any Catholics here? Are you still Catholic? Steve, you still here? Okay. Just checking. But as a Catholic, that would, that's a sin to assume that you're going to heaven. But you know what the Bible says? Now pay attention here. The Bible says that we can know. John 6, 47, Jesus speaking, says, He that believes in me, listen to this, has everlasting life. Huh? He that believes in me has everlasting life. Right? We were taught, we were raised to say, well, I hope so. I mean, if I'm good enough, if I do enough, if I please him enough, I hope so. But the Bible says you can know so. In fact, 1 John chapter 5, John speaking, says God's given us a record. A record. We have a record. And here's what the record says. The record says that life is in his son. If you have the son, you have life. Isn't that awesome? If you have Jesus, you have life. And John chapter, 1 John 5 verse 13 says you can know that you have eternal life. I said this in the funeral service that day. I said, think about this, folks. Let's say this, uh, this card here represents eternal life, and this Bible represents Jesus. John says, life is in Jesus. Where's life? Say it with me, class. Where's life? It's in Jesus. Where's life? Where's life? Where's life? It's in Jesus. If you have Jesus, what do you have? 
Life. If you have Jesus, what do you have? If you have Jesus, what do you have? So if I have Jesus, I have life. And I should then be able to declare, I know for sure that when I die, I'm going to heaven. How could you say that? Because I have Jesus. And since I have Jesus, I have? I have life. My question to you today is this. Do you have Jesus? Because if you have Jesus, Jesus has you. Uh huh. Did you get in yet? Are you in Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? See, it's one thing to know about him. It's another thing to know him. Right? You can say this. Uh, there's a difference between salvation and, 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 and history. History says, I know that there was a Christ. Are you with me? Say it with me. History says, I know there was a Christ. Theology says, I know there was a Christ who died on a cross. Say it with me. I know there was a Christ who died on the cross. Salvation says, I know there was a Christ who died on the cross for me. For me. See, there's a difference in knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And I trust today you know Jesus. See, friendship Friendship begins with a foundation. But I want you to notice something other here. I want you to notice how it grows. Look at verse 15. He says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. And so now you see a progression here, right? Now pay attention. The disciples of Christ were individuals, pay, pay attention please, who put their faith and trust in Jesus, right? Uh, Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter number four, he, he's walking through the region and he, he notices certain individuals and he, and he calls out to them and he says, follow me. And the Bible says they forsook all and followed him. And, and, and if you read between the lines, that is them putting their faith and trust in him, salvation. They got saved, Right? But Jesus says this, there's a transition that occurs in, in their lives. They go from being servants to friends. You see that? And, and back in that day, that was pretty big. Because if you were a servant, you were a servant. You know, uh, you usually didn't mix with your master. You wouldn't become a friend if you were a servant, right? But Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And, and what, 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 what is it that makes that transition? I want you to notice what it is. In verse number, in verse number 15, uh, in fact, verse 14, he says, Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And so Jesus says this, the proof that's in the pudding is this, if you trust me, you'll obey me. If you trust me, you will obey me. And, and, you know, I, I said this a moment ago, many of our beliefs are captured in our hymns. And we like to sing, I like to sing anyway, that hymn, Trust and Obey. Do you ever sing that? Trust and obey, for there's to be, lest you. How many of us have found that not to be true? If you just trust him, you'll obey him. And if you'll obey him, well, I'll tell you what, you're going to be blessed. There's just no way to get around it. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And, and, and actually what, what's happening in verse number 14 is this. The proof is in the pudding. If you trust him, you'll obey him. Right? So now I'm, I'm speaking to us, those of us who are saved, those of us who know Jesus. 
And I thought about that this, this past week and, and, and try, to, try to stay along with, with the trend of thought here. As followers, as his children, we ought to be what he's, we ought to be for what he's for. Don't you agree with that? I mean, if you trust him, if you love him, whatever he is for, you ought to be for. And whatever he's against, you ought to be against. Hello? Are you with me? And I bring that up because, I bring that up because you and I are supposed to be a bright light shining in a dark world. Huh? And you know what happens when you shine a light? Light eliminates darkness. Huh? I mean, real, darkness really isn't anything. It's just all, all darkness is, is, is uh, life without light. Because as soon as you flip on the light, darkness is eliminated. It evaporates. It's gone. And the Bible teaches that we're to shine in this world as bright lights. And the way we do that is by obeying him. And there are some times, now pay attention to this trend of thought, there are some times that we as, as his children, as his followers, need to take a stand. We need to have some boldness as his friends and take a stand. Why? Because if we follow him, then we're going to be, we're going to be against what he's against and for what he's for. I had to preach a message maybe real soon coming down the road here on, you know, what is it that we as Christians are for? And what is it that we as Christians should be against? Huh? And there ought to be a balance, right? If you're not against anything, well, you don't know the God of the Bible. And if you're not for some things, you don't know the God of the Bible. And I want to say this to us. Listen carefully. You can take a proper stand without being prideful and arrogant. Hello? Right? I mean, look, look here. You take a stand for God simply because you trust him and you want to obey him. It's not because I want you to stand where I'm standing. No, 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 no. I'm standing where he wants me to stand, and I'm just going to stand there. If it means that I can't do things with you because you're doing things that I'm against or the Bible's against, I shouldn't have to get prideful or arrogant about that. Huh? Look here, listen to this statement. You can have the right position and the right disposition at the same time. That means this, I can stand where the Lord wants me to stand and still be nice. I don't have to, I don't have to be filled with pride. Well, look at me. Or arrogant, shame on you. No, 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 not at all. See, that's the growth of friendship. We begin to, we begin to understand our relationship with the Lord is personal. It's a personal relationship, you know? And now because I obey him, I trust him, and I, I obey him, he calls me his friend. Amen. His friend. Talk about friendship. You got fr- How many of us have a friend? You have at least one? If you don't come and see me after the service, I'll be your friend. <laughs> and I'm not a fair-weather friend either. I'll be your friend. And there's no stipulations for friendship. But I will tell you this, if you and I are ever going to be close, then we're going to have to agree on things. Huh? Right? I mean, friend, friends, friendship, genuine friendship built, built on agreement. And that's where in the Lord we agree with him and we come to love the things that he loves. And, and we, we, I hate to use the word hate, we're against the things that he's against. Help me here. We love who he loves. <laughs> right? Amen? 
Hey, look, look here. If Jesus loves somebody, then I ought to love that person. Correct? I don't have to like them, but I need to love them. Correct? And so you see here the growth of friendship. And I would hope that we have a growing relationship with the Lord through this obedience. Can I, can I share one final thing with you? Look at verse 17. He said this, These things I command, command you, that ye love one another. And what you see here is, is the community of friendship. The community of friendship. The peak of friendship is community. And when we become a friend of Jesus, we now enter into a community of friendship. We become friends with those who are friends with the Lord. Huh? And you know what we call that here? Church. <laughs> Church. This is a community. This is a community of friends. Right? We're friends with Jesus. And now that we're friends with Jesus, we're friends one with another. I'm not sure if you've ever picked this up or not, but often in Scripture, Jesus spoke about one another. You ever do word studies? If you ever study your Bible and just take phrases, Tony, I know you have, and you take, just go one another. How many times one another, one another, one another, one another, another, others is listed in the Scriptures? Often Jesus spoke about uh, the need to care one for another. In fact, in fact, the, he stresses the importance of others in John 13, verse 35. Look at this Bible verse on the screen. He said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one for another. Think about that. If I had to ask us, before I flash that uh, verse of Scripture up on the screen, if I had to ask this question, so tell me, folks, tell me what it is that identifies you and I with Jesus. What is it that identifies us with him? Right? What would you say? Huh? Faith. Right? And we've come up with all kinds of things. Huh? Some of the old crusty ones would say, well, bless God if you're a man of good haircut. Huh? Some of the old crusty ladies say, well, bless God a woman would dress modestly. That identifies us with Jesus. Right or wrong? Huh? Well, having the right kind of Bible. You need an original 1611. <laughs> you know, going to the right church. You don't smoke or drink and chew and don't even go with girls who do. And, you know, I mean, just, that's our thing. That's our mantra. That's all we know. That's all we know. That's all we know. What we're supposed to do and not to. But Jesus said, you'll be identified with me by your love one for another. Huh? That's a different world, man. He takes it to a different level completely. It's got nothing to do with what church you identify with or what Bible you have in your hand or what your clothing is. And look here, all those things are important. I'm not downplaying those, but they're not most important. They're not utmost important. No, Jesus said this, you'll be identified with me by your, all men shall know that you're my disciples, my followers, by your love one for another. And in, and in this text of Scripture, when he says in verse number 17, these things I command you, that you love one another, what he's talking about here is this community of friends and how we're supposed to care one for another, love one another. That's what friends do, right? That's what we do. 
And you know, Jesus not only taught truth, but he exemplified truth. If you have a Bible open in chapter 11 of John, Gospel of John, chapter 11, we read a beautiful story, a story about some of Jesus' friends. The fellow's name is Lazarus, and he's got a couple of sisters, Mary and Martha. Did you ever read the story? And the Bible tells us this, that Lazarus succumbs to his sickness. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, they call for Jesus, and, you know, Jesus, uh, Lazarus, your friend, is, is sick and nigh unto death, and man, and Jesus didn't get there on time, and so he died, but he got there. Huh? And when he gets there, he, pay attention, when he gets there, he lends compassion. He shows compassion, and he lends assistance. In fact, I think that story is a proof text for the, the, uh, the modern-day proverb, a friend in need is a friend indeed. Huh? Someone says this, a friend in need is somebody to avoid. But the Bible says a friend in need is a friend indeed. Jesus shows up, and what's he do? He lends his assistance, and that's what a friend does. They show up. They show up, and they lend their assistance. I was standing out here yesterday on property. We had, uh, we had several things going on at the same time. It was tremendous. It was well organized. It was tremendous. It really was. If you missed it, you missed something great. And right over on that, in that corner, in that section over there, we had a trunk and treat, which means people pulled their cars up and opened up their trunk or their hatchback, and they filled it, they decorated it, and they filled it with candy. And then family after family after family, I mean, it was nonstop from 1 o'clock to 3.30, nonstop. They just came, and little boys and girls and teenagers and moms and dads, and we just loaded up their bags with candy and gospel tracts, you know? And all throughout the whole situation, the whole trunk and tree, the whole fall harvest festival, we had the gospel being presentated, you know, presentation. It was awesome, you know. And I heard, I heard with my own ears, because my wife and I, we were, uh, we were minding one, of, we were minding our car, and, uh, and and I heard with my own ears people coming by and saying things like, "Boy, this is a this is a friendly church. Boy, this is a great place." One lady said this to me. I'm not sure if she's here this morning. Her name was Brenda. Brenda said to my wife and I, "Been looking for a church," and she said, "You know, I've checked out Open Bible online, and I drive by." She said, "But you just don't know what to expect." I get it. Right? I mean, you drive by and look at the parking lot. I'm not going there. I might get a flat tire. I mean, you know. However, however, she said, this is great. Why? Because all of our, all of our people were out there. Not all of our people, but a good number of our people were out there and were just exemplifying the Lord Jesus Christ. We're preaching the gospel just by standing there with a big smile, putting candy. We're saying to my, my wife and I said 150 times, probably 550 times yesterday, oh, you look so cute. You look so sweet. You look so wonderful. Huh? I was dreaming all night long. Oh, you look so sweet. You look so wonderful. You know, little witches and goblins and everybody else. But And you know what they were saying? Here, here, listen carefully. For those of you who are against things like that, here's what they were saying. Thank you for, for providing an alternative. We weren't glorifying witches and goblins, and although our deacons were dressed up as warlocks. <laughs> we weren't glorifying none of that stuff. No, we're, we're glorifying Jesus and giving these families an, opportun- an alternative 
to having to go into our dark communities and, and not knowing what to expect. Now they're co- co- safe environment. Amen. And boy, they, they, they just loved it. And I thought to myself, I looked down and saw everybody buzzing around, all our members doing their thing and all the workers. And I thought, boy, this is good. This is healthy. This is a community, a healthy community. And I'll tell you something, you know, you get into a community of friendship and there's nothing like it. And oftentimes I'll hear this, oftentimes I'll hear how so-and-so visited so-and-so and dropped off a meal or took them to the doctors or just sat and prayed with them. Huh? That's what Jesus did at the graveside of his friend Lazarus. He showed up with compassion and he lent assistance. That's what, that's what we do. Amen? You heard about the couple who was relaxing one night, and the, the wife said to the husband, she said, honey, how much do you love me? And he looked at her, and he replied, said, man, my love for you knows no bounds. She said this to him. She said, would you swim across the ocean for me? Ha! He said, I'd swim across the widest ocean for you. She said, would you climb a mountain for me? And he said, ha! He said, I'd climb Mount Everest for you. She said, would you go to Wawa and get me a pumpkin spice cappuccino? (laughs) And he said, it's late. I just took my shoes off. (laughs) Amen? I brought that up because somebody yesterday was telling me how she, she, everything you see now is pumpkin spice, right? Pumpkin spice, Oreos. And this person is an Oreo lover and is offended by anything other than the chocolate cookie with the vanilla cream. Huh? Pumpkin spice everything. Toothpaste, pumpkin spice vitamins, pumpkin spice cappuccino. Donna says, "Hon, would you? Ah, I'd swim the widest ocean for you, but I just took my shoes off. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is about. He shows up. Listen to this Bible verse, and we'll finish. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 2. Listen to this. What shall we then say to these things? Listen, if God be for us, who could be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Isn't that awesome? Jesus gives us freely all things. All things. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.